Father, we just thank you. Father, we worship you. We praise you, Lord. You're a good God. You're an awesome God. Mercy and yours forever. Once again, O oh Lord, we just come to you in the name of Jesus. Father, you said to your disciples, you are clean because of the word. Yes, Lord, it is the word which cleanses us. It is the word which sanctifies us. It is the word which sets us apart so that we can be a spotless bride without blemish, without wrinkle, without spot. Father, this morning I pray, Lord, therefore, even as we come to the ministry of the word, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would do that work of washing us once again, O Lord. Wash us, Lord, by the water of your word. And cleanse us from inside, O oh Lord Jesus. Take away every spot in our in our hearts, in our inner man. Transform us a little more into your likeness. Let our minds be, Father, transformed, Lord, that uh, that uh, that uh, that we'll be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Father, grant us grace to that, and we pray, and anoint us, O oh Lord, to even to hear and to speak and to obey the word that you have for us in these days. We thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Alright, so this morning, once again, uh, we'll go back to the word. Uh, last night, I was, uh, when I was listening to Pastor sharing the word, and I was like struck by that one uh, verse, and we'll go there. You know, it's very important for us to Spend those time in the presence of the times in the presence of the Lord. No, these are God ordained times, and uh, the reason why I want to encourage you is because uh, it says to the angel of the church in Ephesus, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, Sardis, Pergamum, Thyatira, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Okay, so in order for the church to receive a word, God gives a word to the shepherd. I'm talking about the head shepherd of the church. I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about pastor. So it's very important that we tune ourselves to what God has to speak to us. And it, like like pastor says, that it's like it could be a two-hour message, but God has a specific word for you in those two hours. And if you tune out uh, those times of visitation, you will miss and it says uh, in uh, Ephesians, redeem the time for the days are evil. And the word is kairos. It's not even chronos. Because God has particular moments, kairos moments, uh, where he visits his people. Okay, There's a time for war, a time for peace, a time for sowing, time for reaping, etc. And those are all kairos. They're all kairos moments. And there are particular Kairos moments that is ordained by God in every church where God has visited, is visiting our church with the, uh, with the word and those are the times that we need to redeem. There is a, we, we prepare in Kronos, but we prepare in Kronos for the Kairos moments in our lives. No, we remember all those uh, teachings that we heard about Kairos moments. The Kairos moment for, for, uh, Elizabeth and Zachariah. When they went to the temple, when he went to the temple, that was the moment that God uh, ordained that he would, uh, you know, visit his uh, his priest. 
and these are all important things. A Kairos moment for for uh, Rebecca hmm. when she uh, is at the well, uh, and Eliezer is he prays, Lord, whichever maid comes, and if she and I would ask him for her for water to drink, and if she waters even the camels, that would be the bride for my Isaac. And just imagine if that day Rebecca would have said, you know what, it's too much, let somebody else go. It, that would have been, that she would have missed out those Kairos moments, right? And those are the moments that, that we need to really uh, uh, um, redeem. I think, imagine, you know, even that lady, the Samaritan woman who comes to the well in the afternoons. I mean, just imagine, every day she used to come, obviously, to collect, to, to draw water. And imagine if she wouldn't have come at that day to the well. She would have missed. So these are all Kairos moments. That are, there, there are, the scripture is replete with um, with uh, uh, examples where people missed out, uh, like for example, if uh, uh, in First Samuel chapter fifteen again, you'll see that uh, God comes back to Saul and says, "Saul, uh, I have anointed you king, and I wanted you. I want you to uh, wipe out Amalek." That was a time for him to redeem himself. Literally, that was a time that God gave him, and he just, you know, lost it. He wasted those opportunities and therefore don't use, lose opportunities, uh, to listen to God's word. There will be one word in the entire message which will quicken you. That will be that living word for you. And I believe that with all of my heart. And so many times, it's just not one, once or twice. So many times in my experience in the church, um, there was, um, uh, moments where God literally spoke to me. That particular word, that word which would quicken uh, my spirit and my inner man, God would, I would know that God visited me. You know, you know, we have, we often sing that song, while on others thou art falling, do not pass me by. It's interesting that we sing that, but you know, there are times where, uh, we have, God has given us the times to, uh, come together as believers and listen to His word. If you are working in the mornings, I, I understand, but in the evenings, <laughs> there's no excuse. There shouldn't be any excuse, okay? So listen to God's word, take opportunities to, 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 to learn and to understand and don't let God pass you by, Gadu. You don't pass God by now. Okay, God is visiting us. You don't just go away. Stay at the presence in the presence of God. So yesterday, you know, um, when Pastor was sharing the word, there was one verse that just came home to me, and that was verse. Uh, that's a verse in Second Corinthians chapter six, verses seventeen. Uh, and 18, 17 and 18, this is what the Bible has to say, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 6 verse 17 and 18, therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you, I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty, so God, so that verse, verse 18, I will be a father to you, you know, to experience God as a father. See, the, the old covenant saints could only dream of it. Okay. They could only dream of calling God as Father. That's what shocked uh, all the disciples. The boldness with which um, uh, he uh, addressed his Father, he says, and he to- told his disciples, this is the way you need to pray. Our Father, they were stunned because nobody could call God their Father. It's, it's, it's even, I mean, there's one religion uh, in Islam, it's a blasphemy to say God, God has children or God has sons. God has no father, they say. I mean, God has no sons, they say. 
but you know this is a remarkable thing that to experience him as a father is a is the unique thing about christianity and no other uh, world view or or even if you want to call it religion can ever ever give us a privilege that god can call us we can, that we can call god as father look at what it says in romans chapter 8 verses 13 and 14 look at this is a powerful verse you know it says for if you live according to the flesh you will die 215 okay uh, doctor 215 but if you by the spirit put to death the deeds of the body you will live why for as many as are led by the spirit of god these are the sons of god and verse 15 will say for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out what abba father abba father <laughs> daddy daddy that's a remarkable <laughs> a remarkable remarkable what do you say a closeness that we can experience with with um, our heavenly father okay that was the ultimate purpose of jesus coming no one comes to the father except through me he doesn't that doesn't even say nobody comes to god except through me he said nobody comes to the father except through me except through me and therefore and therefore that's the whole essence of his of his of his ministry look at what it says in uh, john's gospel chapter 7 17 verses 1 to 3 um it says jesus spoke these words this is in this high priestly um prayer uh, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said father the hour has come glorify your son that your son also may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him and this is eternal life that they may know you the only true god of course also as father and jesus christ whom you have sent and if you and and philip says father uh, master show us the father and he says if you have seen me you have seen the father that's a whole idea of christianity of christianity that to introduce to us god as father and take us to him that is the reason why it says christ suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous so that we might that he might bring us to him first peter you don't have to turn there okay he that he might bring us to him all right so again after his resurrection this is what he says to mary magdalene john's gospel chapter 20 verse 17 this is what he says powerful verses jesus said to her don't cling to me for i have not yet ascended to my father but go to my brothers the ultimate elder brother no there was one elder brother in luke's gospel chapter 15 who said i don't want this fellow this your son he says don't call him my brother i'm ashamed to call him my brother but he says in hebrew says he's he's not ashamed to call us his brother what a what a what a god we have the elder elder brother in luke's gospel chapter 15 says i'm ashamed to call him his brother call him my brother but jesus says i'm not ashamed to call him call them my brothers It's remarkable, and Jesus said, "Don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, 'I am ascending to my Father, your Father, my God, and your God.' He doesn't change the order. Do you see that? He calls him Father, and then God. Your Father has become your God. Abba, Father, Daddy, G." जी को ऐड करना चाहिए अपने को ठीक है जी को मत निकालिए ठीक है जी को जी दैट इज जी इज रिस्पेक्ट पिताजी ओके आबा फादर ऑल राइट सो दैट इज एग्जैक्टली व्हाट इट सेज इन हिब्रूज चैप्टर टू व्हाट ही सेज इन हिब्रूज चैप्टर टू वर्स टेन ऑनवर्ड्स you can read that for it was fitting फॉर हिम फॉर हुम आर ऑल थिंग्स एंड बाई हुम आर ऑल थिंग्स 
in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings, that is Jesus Christ. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. Who is sanctifying us? Jesus is sanctifying us. How is he sanctifying us? By his word. And he himself is a word. And he says, those for he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified, that is we, are all of the one. Now we have the same show, that is our father. For which reason he is not what? Ashamed to call us his brother. Now let me tell you something. Very important. He is the one who is sanctifying us. The question is, are we being sanctified? Sanctified? Are we being set apart? That is what sanctification means. Sanctification is set apart. I'm not going to give myself to this world. I'm going to be set apart for my God. Then he's not ashamed to call you. Okay. Why, 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 why can he make these demands to us? John's Gospel chapter 17, verse 17, and we'll come back here, okay? 17 onwards, okay? It, this is what he says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. And verse 19, for this reason, verse 19. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. So this is what he's doing. He's sanctifying us, setting us apart more and more. That all our affections that we have, for, we have for the things of this world, for the glory of this world, for the approval of men, for uh, for the approval of our peers. For for example, children. I mean, if you're college students, though, tremendous pressure for you to be approved by your peers is such a tremendous pressure, isn't it? There's so many people go abroad because their friends are going abroad. Everybody is going to, I mean, they choose because they have to look good among their friends. Okay. So exactly what God has to do to all of us, he has to set us apart. And he's setting us apart so that our affections, I'm not saying that we are not supposed to study or anything of that sort, but ultimately our focus is God. God, God, God. That's it. And that is what we are... uh, uh, we are being encouraged to uh, do these days. And let's go back to Hebrews and uh, chapter 2 and verse um, 11 again. It says, For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are of all one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them his brothers, saying, I will declare your name to my brother. In the midst of the assembly, uh, assembly I will sing praise to you. What is he doing? He's continuously declaring his name. He's revealing himself. What does declaring of his name mean? Exactly what happened to Moses, right? When Moses was hidden in the cleft of the rock and God passed by him, he declared his name. He says, I am the Lord, the Lord who forgives sin, righteousness, being merciful, etc., etc. And I will no wise uh, uh, let the guilty go unpunished. I will visit the iniquity of the fathers. He gives them his entire revelation of who he is. And that's exactly what God is doing through his son. He is declaring his name even more. Even as we study the scriptures, what are we getting to know? We are getting to know the heart of the father. We are getting to know his name. And therefore we are not only just getting to know his name, we are able to experience him in our lives. That's what we are looking at also. B-L-I-R-O-E. Okay. The God who sees. Yahweh Ire. The God who provides. Okay. And Jacob erects a pillar and he says, the God of El, uh, the God of all gods, 
the Israel is is Israel, and the God of Israel is the God of all gods. Yahweh Siddhakeno, God is my righteousness. <clears throat> Yahweh Nisi, God is my banner. So many names. So he's declaring himself. Even as we're studying the word of God, the Father is showing us so many dimensionalities of who he is. And that you can confess his name and you can experience him in your life in a much more broader way, in a different way. You can experience the heart of the Father, how much he loves you. In the midst of the assembly. And isn't it interesting? Where else does he declare his name? He declares his name in the midst of the assembly. Therefore we need to understand. There is no other way to understand the heart of God. Unless you are in a church where the, his name is being proclaimed. That is exactly the reason why Paul tells in Ephesians chapter 3. He says that you may comprehend the length and the breadth and the height and the width of the will of God. Along with those, all the brothers. It's impossible otherwise to understand the will of God. You know, I love um, C.S. Lewis's beautiful uh, illustration in one of his books called The Four Loves, okay? And he talks about the love called filio, okay? We have four loves. We have uh, storge, we have uh, filio, we have agape, and we have eros, okay? I'm not enumerating them in the order. In the, in, in filio, he says, he had a friend. He had the, the three friends. Okay, he is talking about John. Let's say John, Mark. Let, let us let us give experience here. We have uh, Roshan, we have uh, Sammy, and we have uh, Doctor Richard. Okay, and three of us we have discussions about. You know, we have incredible discussions about God. You tell me about your experiences. You study the Word of God, and you say, you know what? This is what the God Lord spoke to me. And we spend time with each other. Right? We spend time with each other. And let's say one day, uh, Dr. Richard has to go to another place. Now what will, what will I think? Okay, now Dr. Richard is gone. Now I get to spend more time with Roshan and Sammy. You know what he says? No. In fact, I got to spend less time with both of them because the only thing that I could know about God from, I could, I could know only a, a particular attribute of God from Dr. Richard, and he was not there. Therefore, I could only experience less of God and not more of God, and therefore, when I lost this friend, just because I had more time with them, doesn't mean that I experienced more of God. And therefore, when we come together as friends, we experience more of God, because each one of you brings a particular dimensionality of God into the presence of God. What an amazing truth that is, isn't it? That every one of you gets an experience of God and you have a knowledge of, of who God is, the way God visited you in whatever situation that you're going through. And he came through and that experience is unique to you. And when you come to the, to the body of Christ, you bring along that experience or that uh, rather transaction that you had with God in your secret closet of prayer or in your circumstance, in your situation, whatever it is. And what you do is you enrich the body of Christ. And that's exactly what he's saying. I will declare your name to my brother in the midst of the congregation and of the assembly. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, it's so very important that we set ourselves apart. And every doctrine which does not make us uh, set apart from God, you know what, will not be a blessing to the congregation. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 5. I'll show you a series of things that happens over there. Proverbs chapter 5. Let's read, no, from verse 1 onwards, okay. This is talking about false doctrine in, in some sense, okay. My son, pay attention to my wisdom, lend your ear to my understanding, that you may preserve discretion and your lips may keep knowledge. 
Okay. For the lips of the immoral woman drip honey and her mouth is smoother than oil. Now this is just not talking about the immoral woman who seduces you. It is also talking about this, what? Doctrines of demons. Seductive spirits and doctrines of demons. Yesterday we looked at that, right? The seductive spirits and doctrines of demons. Doctrines which make us assimilate with the world in, instead of asking us to be set apart from the world. That is a demonic doctrine. That will ultimately, when you look at the church and you look at the world, there is no difference at all. And in fact, it's quite possible that things that you do in the church are mo- may not be even done in the world. But you're doing it. That's exactly what happened to the Corinthian church. He says, there's so many things that are not even being done among Gentiles, but I find it in the church. He says, for the lips of an immoral woman drip honey and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she's as bitter as wormwood, sharper than a two-edged sword. My goodness, look at that. She also is a double-edged sword. And go on. Her feet go down to death. Her steps go down to hell. Lest you ponder a path of life. Her ways are unstable. You know, the, the other translations will use the word, if you use KJV over here, look at what it says in KJV. Lest you pond her her path, her ways are movable. Yeah. Today she says this, tomorrow she says that. There is, there is no constancy in her life. And though that, that, that we can go back, no? Her steps, steps her ways are movable. <clears throat> okay. You do not know them. You cannot even know them. And then, Therefore, hear me, my children, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way far from her. Do not go near to the door of her house. Lest you give your honor to others. And your ears to the cruel one. Lest your aliens be filled with your wealth and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And look at what happens. And you mourn at last when your flesh and your body are consumed. And say, how I hated instruction. How my heart despised correction. And then... I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. I was in the verge of total ruin. Where? In the midst of the assembly and the congregation. You say, there was, there I was. Total ruin. In the midst of the assembly and the congregation. And what God says, I will declare my name in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. What does it mean? Experiences of God. Genuine experiences of God. I'm talking about genuine, genuine. I'm not talking about any other thing. Where you have known happens in the midst of the congregation and the assembly. Alright, let's move on. So, ultimate thing is, to, is that we should know God as our Father. That's the whole essence of teaching. To know Him as our Father. If you'll turn with me to Malachi chapter 4. Verse 5. Malachi chapter 4 verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. Okay. Before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now this is basically talking about a spirit of Elijah. Where there will be a church. This is just not talking about one individual, I believe. It's talking about a body of individuals who have been given the spirit of Elijah. And what will what will, what will happen? The spirit, Elijah will come and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. That is what is supposed to happen in the last days. Okay, The hearts of the fathers have to turn to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. 
But ultimate thing is, as I said, we need to know God as our Father. So if, if I were to, if I were to just understand it in a much more deeper way, the whole purpose of the Elijah ministry or the ministry of the church is to make people, the hearts of the people turn to their heavenly father. Because their heavenly father's heart is always towards them. This is exactly what even Elijah did. If you want, turn with me to 1st Kings chapter 18, verse 30 and 31. Look at what, what it says. 1st Kings chapter 18, verse 30 and 31. Okay, then Elijah said to all people, come near me. Okay, so this is after he builds the altar. So all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And then verse 31, Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, Israel shall be your name. Okay, just keep these two things together. Whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be your name. And therefore he's taking the 12 tribes of Israel. By this time the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom got divided. Two tribes were down. Uh, Judah and Benjamin were downstairs. And the northern kingdom had 10 tribes. They are separated. But you know what, what, what uh, Elijah does? He unites them. In, the, in that, in that he says, you know what? This is a God who is just not the God of the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom. He's a, he's a God of all. Alright. And verse 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. Look at what Elijah does, okay? That Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel. He doesn't say Jacob. Very interesting. Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel. I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. And then... Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this day people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. What is the ultimate purpose of the Elijah ministry? Take the hearts of the people and turn them to God. That's exactly what he accomplished. And what was the Baals doing? Taking the hearts of the people and turning away from their father. And they have come to the end of themselves. Three and a half years of famine. And you know what Elijah says? Why? How long will you, will you vacillate between two opinions? If Baal is God, worship him. If Yahweh is God, worship him. And what do they do? They say nothing. They are still undecided. And you know what God is asking us? By the end of this whatever lockdown, if God is God, worship him. If Baal is God, worship him. Run after the other gods. Let them go. You know, don't be hot or cold. I mean, uh, be either hot or be either cold. Don't be lukewarm. I'll spew out of your mouth. Be Let your hearts be set on fire for God. And let this ministry of the word of God turn your hearts back to him. Because he is the father. And he says in Isaiah chapter 65 verse 2. Look at what it says in Isaiah chapter 65 verse 2. Hear me, O Lord. Okay, 65 verse 2, sorry. I have stretched out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good according to their own thoughts. All day long. And it's exactly what Paul quotes in Romans chapter 10 verse 25. This is what he says. But to Israel, he says. 10 verse 21. Romans chapter 10 verse 21. But to Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hand to a disobedient and a contrary people. Other translations will use the word obstinate people. Other translations will use the word rebellious people. And we know that obstinate, rebellious 
people are walking in the realm of witchcraft. Exactly. We know that rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. And if we are a people who are walking and living in rebellion, contrary to God, and God says, if you walk contrary to me, I will walk contrary to you. Then we are already operating in the realm of witchcraft. We may not see it, but we are there. That is the source of all rebellion. You are operating in the flesh because one of the works of the flesh according to Galatians chapter 5 verse 19 is witchcraft, idolatry. Both. Rebellion as a sin of witchcraft and iniquity and stubbornness as iniquity as idolatry. If you are a stubborn person, you are already operating in the realm of witchcraft and you, what are you according to the Bible? You are a disobedient people. Look at what it says. You all day long, I stretched out my hand to a disobedient and a contrary people. Is that not what scripture says about us? And if you are a disobedient and contrary people, what is operating in us? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, And you he made alive, who are dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So if you are a disobedient person, don't ever take it lightly. You know who is inspiring you? The prince of the power of the air is inspiring you. It's a very dangerous position to be in. Okay. So don't ever take the ministry of the word of God, especially the ministry which is calling you back to repentance and asking you to change your priorities. And we need it every day. Tell me, is it honest appraisal? Is that is our hearts totally for God? I don't think so. And constantly, consistently, God has to turn our hearts over and over again from stupid things of this world, from these things which do not profit unto himself. Look at what, um, you know, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Zechariah prophesies over John the Baptist. And he makes a very interesting observation about this, uh, of this Elijah ministry. I want you to look at those verses in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 16, uh, sorry, 15, uh, onwards, 15 onwards, 15 to 18, actually 15 to 17 is enough. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Who is this? John the Baptist. And shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And then, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. How? He will also go before him in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. So what does he do? He does three things. He turns the hearts of the fathers to the children. What does he do? First thing, he gives them a new heart. Right? He gives them a new heart. That's what it means. That means your heart was a heart which was so, so cut up with the things of this world. Your priorities were all messed up. Your heart was not for God. And therefore it was not for your children. That's what it means in Ezekiel chapter 36. He says, I will sprinkle clean water in you and you will be clean from all your idolatry. Verse 25. You can go there if you want. I will sprinkle clean water in you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Wow. Your filthiness and your idolatry. Your dirt and your idols. And then, verse 26, what will I do? I will give you a new heart. 
and i will i will put a new spirit within you yeah and i will remove from you a heart of stone and i will give you a heart of flesh and then he says verse 27 love this verse i will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and you will do them this is exactly what he's doing in the ministry in the ministry of the word of god if it is under the spirit and the power of the elijah of elijah what is happening is stirring the hearts of the fathers that means what he is giving all the fathers a new heart to change their priorities to change their priorities to change the way they look at situations and circumstances in their lives that they will truly truly be truly be fathers after god's own heart who love God with all of their heart, they will truly be the spiritual leaders in their home. That they will ensure that God is put first in their lives. And when the children and the, and everybody who sees them, they know that this man's heart is for God. And in one of the things that you will see, then when, uh, when Abraham uh, distributes his properties, right, he gives a lot of gifts to all the other children. To, uh, to Isaac, he gives the, his, his entire estate. And to... Uh, what is the other person? Uh, Ishmael also gives up uh, uh, of the estate. He sends all his children away to the east. <laughs> okay. And you know what happens? Even even though he sends all his children away to the east, nobody complains. They all respect and honor him. Because they know that this man was on fire for He is a man of God. That was the kind of authority that he had. Okay. So, he will turn the heart. So, first them, he will give them a new heart. Second, he says, let's go back to Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verse uh, 16, 17, no, 17. Look at what he says. He will go, I will, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Second, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, of the righteous. In other words, there will be a bunch of rebellious people who are walking in witchcraft and rebellion. Right? Disobedience. Stubborn people and their heart will be turned to righteousness. How does it happen? God himself will become our righteousness. Right? First Corinthians chapter 30. Sorry, 1 verse 30. First Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30. Look at what he says. By him. Who is that him? By God. You are in Christ. Who became for us what? Wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that whoever boasts should boast only in God. So first he does is what? He turns the hearts of the fathers to the children. That means what? He gives them a new heart. Second what he does is that he makes the people who are disobedient, obedient to the wisdom of the just. Third, he says, if you go there... To make ready a people. The third thing is also important. It is just not important to give them a new heart. It is just not important to make them an obedient people. Third thing is to prepare them so that they will become the bride of Christ. And that is all that we are doing all these days. Including ourselves. I mean, if I preach to others and if I am not myself being transformed and being renewed and refreshed in the in the image of God, in, in, the, in the image of Christ, then the whole ministry of the word of God is a waste. To make up ready a people prepared Prepared for the Lord. That we should be a set of people who are prepared for His, not His first coming anymore, it is now for His second coming. You know, that second coming is going to be a total different coming altogether. And that is the reason why 
we come to the ministry of the word of God so that we prepare ourselves. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 onwards, if you will. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Teaching us, denying what? Ungodliness. We, we have heard this somewhere? Yesterday we heard. There's a doctrine which accords with godliness. There's a truth which accords with godliness. So what is the teaching doing, uh, doing to us that we should deny ungodliness and worldly passions. That we should live soberly. That means there should be sobriety in our minds. That our minds have to be right. We should live righteously. So many, so many things that we have to deny. Ungodliness, we have to deny worldly lust, that we should live soberly, we should live righteously, we should live godly in this present age because this present age is totally contrary to godliness. And then, verse, the sixth one, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearance of Jesus Christ, of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from Every lawless deed purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. That is the whole purpose of the teaching of the word of God. That we will be a prepared people, that we will be a zealous people and we will be a set of people who have, who have denied ungodliness and worldly passions. That we live godly lives in this present age. Righteous lives, holy lives, godly lives and that our heart will be full of zeal for God. So that when he comes, we are waiting for him to come. That is the whole idea of the ministry of the word of God. Three things, what did I say? The hearts of the fathers, that means giving them a new heart. Secondly, to make them an obedient people. And third thing, to prepare them for the coming of the Lord. That is exactly what we are doing over and over and over and over and over again. So let's go back to Malachi chapter 4 verse 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. <clears throat> and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to their fathers, <laughs> lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Three things he mentions over here. First thing, the hearts of the fathers to the children. Second thing, the hearts of the children to their fathers. The father's heart has to change. Second, the children's heart has to change. And third thing, if these two doesn't happen, I will come and strike the earth with a curse. He will smite it. That's exactly how the old covenant ends. It ends with the word curse. Okay. But of course, this curse is not coming. What we are seeing around is a preparation (laughs) for that ultimate day. Okay, so lest he come and smite the earth with a curse. So we are in those days where God is preparing a people. You know, when uh, Jesus goes to the Mount of Transfiguration and he transfigures himself and after that um, they uh, they come down and they ask him and they said, why does uh, the scripture say that Elijah has to come first? And then Jesus says, Elijah has already come. Okay. And they did to him whatever they are supposed to do. What did they do? Cut off his head. 
He was talking about John the Baptist. So today we don't cut off the head. We stop listening to the teaching. In, in, in other words, we do not want to hear a teaching which will confront us and prepare us to the last days. In, the, in these last days to prepare us for the coming of the Lord. So this is, of course, uh, the prophecy of Malachi. You know, Malachi, before he comes to this final climax in his entire prophecy, this is, of course, the last prophets in the Old Covenant. This is how the Old Covenant ends. And it ends with this uh, tremendous promise that Elijah will come. Okay. Of course, he's not talking about the Elijah in the book of Revelation, which is he's also going to come. But he's talking about a full church also, which will arise up in the spirit and the power of Elijah, which will turn the hearts of the people. But before he comes to that to the climax, he talks about seven things. I think uh, lost it, Sam. YouTube is not working. Is internet coming now? <sighs> Could you want to send a message to on 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 a GTC group, please? Fine. So, uh, so Malachi is the last prophet. Okay. And this is after, of course, um, this is after, uh, the days of Nehemiah and Ezra. They come back and build the church. And then during those, during the, um, build the temple, uh, Nehemiah builds the wall and the church, the, the, the temple is built and one day it's uh, dedicated back and the people cry. And during the time of uh, the building itself, there are so many hiccups. And God raises up two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, who encourage them under the ministry of Haggai, Zechariah, and, and the leadership of Jer- Jer- uh, Joshua and Zerubbabel. They build the church and build the temple. Okay. And after the temple is built, 100 years later, the last prophet is the prophet Malachi. Okay. Now Malachi comes to a time where again there is a spiritual decline that is going on. Alright. And he wants to revive a people, warning them and showing them what is happening over there. Now what did they do to uh, Zachariah? It's very interesting that Zachariah and Haggai were the, pe- were the prophets that came, that came back and encouraged people to build the temple. Okay. But it's very interesting. If you turn with me to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. Turn with me there. To Matthew chapter 23. <clears throat> and verse. Verse 34 onwards. Matthew chapter 23 was 34 onwards. <laughs> Therefore indeed I send you prophets, wise men and scribes. Look at the order. Prophets. Wise men and scribes. Okay, scribe was Ezra. Wise man was Nehemiah. 
I believe, okay? Because Nehemiah was an administrator. And prophets were Zechariah and Haggai. And of course Malachi. Scribe was, I sent you prophets, I sent you wise men, I sent you scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. And some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city city to city. That on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zachariah, the son of Barakiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. That is remarkable. It's remarkable. Now, what has happened to Zachariah? Nothing about Zachariah is mentioned in, in any of the accounts in, uh, in, in, uh, in, um, Nehemiah, Ezra, uh, Zachariah, and of course Haggai, or even in Malachi. But Jesus sees something very interesting. He says, you know what, even after the temple was built, immediately after the prophesying of uh, Zachariah and Haggai, there was a, immediately a spiritual decline. Of course, we know that Zachariah was a younger prophet than Haggai. So, obviously, he might have lived, and this is just a conjecture, I'm, I'm just speculating that he might have outlived Haggai, because uh, he being uh, being younger, and even during his days, he might have seen the spiritual decline that must have happened, even after the temple was rebuilt. And he must have said, guys, what's going on with you? I mean, he must have prophesied. You know what they did to him? They murdered him. And hundred years later, we have a prophet called Malachi. That will be the last prophet and after that you have silence. And Malachi comes and he comes with a specific burden. And that is what I want to share today with you. Okay. Malachi comes and asks seven questions to the children of Israel. He says, God says I have loved you. And you say, how have you loved us? God says that you have profaned my name. And you say, how have you defiled your name? Uh, Profaned your name. You have defiled me. And you say, how have you defiled me? You have varied me. And you say, how have you varied you? You have to return to me. And you say, how do I return to you? You have robbed me. And you say, how we have robbed you? You have spoken against me. And you say, how we have spoken against you? Rhetorical questions. You see, that, that's the whole, the, there's a decline that has happened and Malachi is the last prophet and he comes and speaks to the church of those days. And this is how Malachi begins. Malachi chapter 1, let us read from verses 1 onwards. You know the word Malachi means, Malachi actually. Okay, Malachi, I mean, English Malachi, Hebrew Malachi. Okay, Malachi comes from two words, Malek. Okay. my king or my messenger. Malek means king, of course. Malek, my king, my messenger. So Malachi was the final messenger of God. Okay, my messenger. Okay, Malachi, Eli means my, my God. Malachi means my messenger. Whose who's messenger? God's messenger. So that could be anybody. Okay, the final messenger. To the church before there's a silence before Jesus Christ is born or before John the prophet, John the Baptist is raised as the last prophet. And he also comes in the spirit of, spirit of the power of Elijah. There's a continuity over there. And Malachi is the last prophet. And look at the, how it starts. The burden. Wow. 
you know, several translations put the word prophecy or the oracle, but I like the word burden. You know, yesterday was pastor was uh, speaking, you know, my burden is that for a church that will emerge after these 20 whatever days of lockdown, a church which is on fire for God, that is burden. You know, oracle is just a prophecy. Oh, the teaching is just a teaching that anybody can come and speak from their head. But you know what? There should be a burden that you feel the heart of God. You know what we need to ask God? We need to ask God for a genuine burden. A genuine burden. Lord, a burden that you can share your heart with me. Okay, That I can share your burden. I can share your yoke. Isn't it interesting? He says, come to me all you are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me and then you will find what? Rest your soul. That is when we truly find rest, my dear brothers, when we have taken the burden of God upon ourselves. And it is good for for a man to bear the yoke when he is young. So don't say I am so too young to bear the yoke of God. No, 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 no. It is right now when we start having the yoke and the burden of God. That's exactly what happens to Jeremiah. Jeremiah God says, God, God says, I have called you to be a prophet to the nations. He says, Lord, I am young. Don't say you are young. I am going to give you a burden. A burden for, for, for your people. I have ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. And I ordained you to a prophet, to be a prophet to the nations. And I am going to give you a burden, a burden, a genuine burden. So these days, let us go into a secret closet of prayer and say, Lord, grant me a burden. That when I come to the pulpit, when I minister to the people, when I truly do my work, I do it with a burden, I do it with love, I do it with unction, I do it power, I will do it with love. Because I will be sharing your heart. That is how it starts. It is just not the burden. It is the burden of the word of the Lord. Who is the ultimate word of the Lord? Christ himself. And that is a burden of the word of the Lord. And who is the recipient? Israel. God's people. It is not even the world. What does it, what does it tell me? The ultimate burden that God wants to share is to the church, not to the world. That's, like, that's exactly the reason why all the 66 books have been given not to the world. Primarily, it is given to the church. The burden of the word of the Lord by Malachi, my messenger. That's what it means. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by my messenger. That's exactly what we are, right? What are we? We are not. You know, when they came and asked John, are you that prophet? I am not. Are you... I am not the Christ. I am not the prophet. They asked him, are you Elijah? He says, I am not. (laughs) In fact, he came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. When they asked him, are you Elijah? He said, I am not. What are you? I am a voice crying in the wilderness. I am just a messenger of God. I am a messenger of God. I am now become one with the message of God. What are you going to do with that message now? Is a question. Are you going to reject him? Despise him? Are you going to embrace him? Yesterday was really powerful. One of the most powerful uh, messages, at least for me. I mean, of course, so many are powerful. Yesterday was so powerful because it started. I was probing in my own heart. Lord, do I really love you? Do I have really have a burden for you? Can you place your burden upon me? I have loved you. That's the first thing. <laughs> and yet you say, in what way have you loved us? See the first. The reason why churches fall apart is because they lose the sense of God's love for them. 
and ultimately everything becomes our religious exercise what are what is the what is the greatest commandment they ask him you know what he says here is israel the Lord your God is one. And thou shalt love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. That is the commandment. Upon this hangs the entire law and the prophets. Hang on these two. Love God. And you know what? When does a church fall apart? When they lose their sense for the love of God, of the love of God. And we love him because, see, we can never love God unless and until we continuously experience his love. So why has our heart heart grown cold? Because we have stopped experiencing his love. It is the kindness of God which has brought us to repentance. It was the goodness and the forbearance and long-suffering of God which has brought us to repentance. Now we have become hard. You know Why? Because we have stopped experiencing Him, His love, His mercy, and His goodness and His kindness. I have loved you. It starts there. Isn't it? Ultimately, all all the other questions that God is going to answer or is going to ask of them begins with this first question. Do you love me? Isn't it interesting? That the final, the great commission in Matthew chapter 28 is what? Go into all the world, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all the things which have commanded you to do. And behold, I am with you till the end of the days. That is Matthew chapter 28. Mark chapter 16, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Okay, those who are believed, who believe and be baptized will be saved and who do not believe will not be saved. And in my name you will cast out demons, etc, etc, etc. And you will drink anything deadly and it will not harm you. Luke's gospel chapter 24, go into Jerusalem until you receive power and you shall be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria to the ends of the world. And how does, what is your great commission in John? Peter. Peter, Peter. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord, you love me. I love you. Feed my lambs, Peter. Hey, you can come here, sit here. Okay. Do you love me, Peter? And then he says, second, do you love me more? He says, do you love me more than these? What is that more than these? More than this 157 fish that you caught. <laughs> 157 people. <laughs> Peter's come here. Okay. <laughs> okay. I like that. No? When, uh, when Joanna asked the question to Peter, are you the Peter from the Bible? He said, yeah, yeah. Oh, you are the one who denied Jesus three times. He said, no, 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 no. <clears throat> my goodness, kids are sharp. I can never forget that. My God. Sharp children, my say. Smart, praise God. Anyways, he says, Peter, do you love me? He says, more than these? Yes, Lord. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. That is, take care of my sheep. Why? Shepherds are an abomination. So, would you be considered as as an abomination to this world? Peter, are you ready for that? Tend my sheep. And finally, do you love me, Peter? See, the first he says, agape. Do you agape me? Second, he says, do you filio me? You know what filio means? Do you consider me? I told you, right, you will be my friend. 
that you will be my brother. Do you love me as your brother, Peter? Yes, Lord. I love you. And third, he says, do you agape me again? He says, yes, Lord. I agape me. And then he says, when you were a child, you went wherever you wanted to go. Now somebody else will guard you and you will go to places where you wouldn't want to go. Wouldn't want to go. Peter, do you love me, Peter? That is a final commission to be a shepherd to God's people. Turn with me to Genesis 49. The ultimate blessing which is given to Joseph. Let's read from verses 22 to 24. Several blessings. Joseph is a fruitful bow. A bow, bow, okay. A fruitful bow or a bow by a well. His branches run over the wall. The archers have bitterly grieved him, shot at him, hated him. But, but his bow remained in strength and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From there is the shepherd and stone of Israel. You know, you know, Jacob, one thing you did. Joseph, you know what one thing you did? You were just not my young man who took care of all the, I mean, you who overcame sin in your life, but you grow up to be a shepherd, not the shepherd of, <coughs> of, uh, of just your people of the entire world. Shepherd and the stone of Israel will come from you. Spiritually speaking. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay. So, do you... Let's go back to Malachi now. <coughs> Great commission is to Peter was, do you love me? So ultimately, the question is, the question... I mean, what Malachi is telling uh, through, uh, God is telling through Malachi, he says, I have loved you. And what do you say? How have you loved us? <laughs> Isn't it interesting? That's exactly how we respond also. I love you. How do I know that, I lo- that, I, that you love me? Look at the problems that I'm going through. Look, look at the situations in my life. I have loved you. And then, in order to reinforce the thought that he has, he is going to give an example. You know what he says? Yet you say, in what way have you loved me? Or loved us? And he says, was not Esau Jacob's brother? Says the Lord, yet what? Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. Now, this is a very interesting point. Why am I using this? Why does he come to this point and he says, this is, the, this is the way I'm expressing my love to you. Jacob and Esau. I've loved Jacob and I've hated Esau. And you'll say, why Lord? And you will have your reasons. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Jacob was a guy you know, who loved the things of God. Okay. He was better than Esau. All that is secondary. You know, Romans chapter 5 will say, while you were 
God demonstrates his love toward us that while we were that's what you prayed, right? That we were still sinners, he died for us. We were still enemies. We were still without strength. Still ungodly. Still he died for us. That means, you know what God is saying? What was Jacob's credentials? First of all, was he the firstborn? No. The firstborn blessing should go to Esau. Was he as skillful as Esau? No. Now think about it now. If you put uh, Esau and Jacob side by side, Esau is a guy who is going out. Meaning, he's a, it says he's a cunning hunter. Cunning hunter. Are Baba. If I were to modern day equivalent Atlanta, graduate from MIT, PhD from Stanford, postdoc from Carnegie Mellon, professor in Dinkana Top University, Max Planck University of, uh, of, uh, of Technology, of Sciences in Germany. Yeah, Top Megapan Monod. That is Esau. That is Esau. Jacob, Mama's Bob. Always intense. Cook. What was he doing? Cooking. Shepherd. What does he do? He does the least. That's what I'm saying. Shepherds are an abomination, right? What he's doing is an abomination in the side of the world. And Esau has got all the credentials. And what should we do? If, if I were God, get send all your resumes, please. Okay, let me give you an example. If you send your resume to the company, how do you want your resume to look? It has to look the best. Uh, for example, if you are applying to some some uh, production house, show me your credentials. Whom did you work with? Etc. 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 You want the you want to have the best backing to give you the best privilege in order to be chosen. You know what God says? When I looked Esau and Jacob, Jacob had no privileges at all. Still, I chose him. Was not Esau Jacob's brother? But Esau, Jacob I have loved and Esau have hated. And this is exactly what Paul uses in, in Romans chapter 9. <clears throat> Turn with me to Romans chapter 9. Verse 10 onwards. <clears throat> and not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac. Okay, this is a doctrine about, talking about the doctrine of election, Baba. So, if we doctrine of election, I want—I don't want to speak too much about. Okay, I want to just see why God chose Jacob. Did he have any credential to be chosen? No. That's what the Bible says. For the children not yet being born, okay, they haven't done any good or evil. <laughs> that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand not of works, but of him who calls, you know what he says, I, it was said to her, the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have loved, Esau hated, meaning, in, in Jacob never had any credentials for God to choose him, that is how much I loved him. It's like this, no? I'll give you an example. Look, if there is a swayamvara, okay, 
I'm talking about Swayamvara, where the girl is not going to garland the man. The boy is being given all the women. All the most beautiful princesses have come to the king. And he's on the throne. All the most beautiful of the, that's exactly what they did, they did, uh, they did those days. All the most beautiful girls in the kingdom, they took them to the harem. That's how Esther also went. And the king would look at all those girls and the one who would please him would be given the opportunity to spend whatever with the king. And look at all the women beautifully dressed have all the brains and the beauty. Very difficult to find. No? That's what people say. Uh, it's very hard to find beauty with brains. But she's not only a beauty, but she's also got brains. And looks at all the beauty with the brains. None of these. You know what? There's a old, I mean, there's a, there's a very ugly looking, despised girl on the streets. Nobody loves her. She had five husbands. Sleeping with the sixth man. Living with the sixth man. She is going to be a part of my bride. Shock. Shock. That is what he says. Jacob I have loved. Esau hated. Not like your father Jacob. He hated Leah and he loved Rebecca. Sorry, Rachel. That's exactly what it says in uh, Genesis chapter 29. When God saw that Leah was... No, 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 no. no, Hated, Baba. That is what your translation will use. The KJV pure Victorian will say, hated. When God saw that Leah was hated, he was telling Jacob, 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 Pandre. What are you doing? Are you choosing? Because the way you see? What did I see in you, Jacob? What did you have? That is how he loves. That's exactly what he does. Tells Hosea, go and buy for yourself Gomer. What is she? She was the one who was unfaithful to him, bore children for her, for him, and now she has sold herself as a prostitute. She is on the streets. Hosea, go there and buy her for yourself. You know what he does? He goes, empties all his money and buys her back. When we are ugly in our sin, there was no beauty that we should that he should desire us, not that we, we should desire him. When he looked down upon us, we were absolutely marred. Our image was completely destroyed. The image of God, he made us in his image, in his likeness. And when he looked at us, a complete mar of that image, and he looked at us and he said, I love you. That is the reason why he says, Jacob have loved, he's hated. Isn't it interesting, Jacob? Jacob, 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 Jacob. Tell me, Jacob, tell me, Jacob. Isaac was your father, right? Yes, Isaac was your father. Did he love you? No. That means you were rejected by even by, even by your father. He he was willing to circumvent the will of God to bless Esau. But 
he would not even give you a second look. You had to steal your blessing from your father. Your own father did not love you, Jacob. But I love you. That is how much I love you. Oh boy, the love of God. And then they say, how did you love me? And the darkest point of your life. Okay? That's exactly what happened, right? He says, then he was fleeing his father's house and was the sun set down on Jacob. So tired. He didn't even have a pillow. You know, there's a a saying in Telugu, no? It says, Akali ruchyaragadu, nidra sukhanaragadu. I'll tell you what it, what it means. Akali means if you are very hungry, it doesn't matter what food is there, is it tasty or not tasty, you will just eat it and say, boy, it is very tasty. And if you are absolutely tired, even a stone is comfortable for you. That's exactly what happened. He came to the end of himself. No strength left in his body. He takes a stone and he sleeps and he sees a vision of heaven. What is the vision he sees, Baba? What does he see? He sees the heavens open. Angels of God ascending and descending on the ladder. Who is that ladder? Who is that ladder, Baba? The only ladder that you can take is Jesus Christ. By grace you have been saved by not through works. It is a gift of God. That's exactly what God tells Nathaniel. He says, Nathaniel, there is an Israelite in whom there is no girl. Turn with me, John's Gospel, chapter 1, please. John's Gospel, chapter 1. What construction here? Uh, read from verses 49 onwards. Nathaniel answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And then look at what he says. Jesus answered to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe me? You will see greater things than these. Most assuredly I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and angels of God ascending and descending upon. Wow! Who is the ladder? The son of God. And what did Jacob see? He saw that ladder in his vision. And he said, this is Bethel, the gate of God. I did not know it. Did he see that vision? Because he was good? Because his father loved him? Did his father recommend him to God? You know, what? What? whom would Isaac would have recommended to God? Esau, that's exactly what he wanted to do. He said, Esau, beta, achha khana paga de, khana kha lenge aur tujhe ashirwad kar denge. I will bless you with the blessing of God. That is exactly what Esau, Isaac wanted to do to his son. But you know what? He wanted to reject God's appointed person. And you know what God said? You know what? I loved you. I gave you the vision. I gave you the vision of my son. You saw a ladder. And who is that ladder? I was that ladder, Jacob. I was that ladder. That is how much I loved you. Again, if you turn with me to Genesis chapter 32. Hmm. Very interesting. Verse 24. We know this very well. 
Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. And the sun was about to rise. And he said, leave me. What would have happened if the sun would come? You know what? And Jacob would have seen the face of Jesus and he would have died. Because you would not be able to handle. So what did God do? He hid himself in darkness. And gave him a destiny. And he calls it what? Peniel means he says, I saw the face of God and I did not die. I was merciful to you. I was merciful to you. So that is how much I loved you. And what do you say? How did you love me? How did you love me? Let's go back to Malachi now. Chapter 1. So verse 5. Verse 4 onwards. Yeah. Verse 5 onwards. Yeah. Verse 5. Your eyes shall see and you shall say the Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. And verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am your father, where is my honor? Behold, what manner of love the father has uh, shown upon us that we should be called the word of God? The children of God. That means he has given us a privilege to be called the children of God. That means he has given us a privilege for us to call him our father. Okay. If I am your father, where is my honor? It if I am a master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts to you. And to the priests who despise my name, yet you say, in what way have you despised your name? <laughs> to second question. In what way have you despised your name? How do we despise the name of our father? If you read Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7, at the end of the 7th chapter, the people are astonished at the doctrine of Jesus. Why? One of the reasons why they are astonished because at the doctrine of Jesus is because 17 times in Matthew's gospel, chapter 5, 6 and 7, he uses God as Father. They are stunned. They have never seen any rabbi saying, Our father, our father, my father, my father. They are shocked. What kind of a doctrine is this? That we can have a relationship with God as father. And he says something very powerful. Malachi is saying, If I am your father, where is my honor? How we dishonor God as our father? I will show you seven ways. Okay, how we honor or dishonor God. So if we know how to honor, then we know how we dishonor Him. If we know how we dishonor Him, then we know how we honor Him. First, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 16. It says, You are the light of the world, who... You and I. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. 
but on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house and in fact the lampstand in the most holy in the holy place should never be put out there should be continuous oil that is being poured into it so that it's continuously burning okay let's move on let your light shine so before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father which is in heaven. The question is, can men see our good works and say what these are a different set of people? For example, for example, turn with me to Luke's gospel chapter 12 verse 12 onwards. And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. Next, go, go on. 12, 12, 12, 12 onwards. 12 onwards, yeah. Uh, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Go on. Verse 13. Then one of the, one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator? Over you. And then go on. And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. You know how we dishonor our father? By fighting over property. You don't trust me? Turn with me to Genesis chapter 13. Hmm. We looked at this very so many times. But we will look at it again another time. Genesis chapter 13 verses 5 and 7. 5 to 7. Okay. <clears throat> Lot also who went with Abraham had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock mm-hmm. and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock and the Canaanites and the Perizzites lived there. You know what the Canaanite is, right? Canaanite is what spirit? Trafficker. A businessman. All the businessmen were looking. Are, these are all... Are, Christians are also like very nice businessmen. man. In fact, Christianity is good business. Are, look at... That's exactly what so many people in... Uh, one of the... Incredible examples, one man of God. I don't want to mention his name. Uh, uh, he was having a discussion with uh, with another uh, in, in, so pastor's conference. So there was one pastor. And you know, they were having a discussion. And uh, he said, okay, so tell me a calling brother. He said, no, no, I'm just, uh, there's no calling, nothing. I just went to Bible college and I, I graduated. Now I want to become a pastor of a, I'm sending my applications to different, different places. Then he asked him, what is this? You didn't have a call. Why did you choose? He said, Hare, there's a lot of money to be made in this God racket. To that effect. He may not have used those words, but that's exactly what he meant. What is it? Godliness is a means for gain. It is not godliness with contentment is great gain. No, no, no. Godliness is a means for gain. And what has happened? There was a strife between herdsmen of, of Abraham and a strife between Lord's herdsmen and the Canaanites are watching. Are these people are interested in business and they said, yeah, yeah, there is, these people are also like that. All Christians also fight for property because they are also interested in money. And one guy says, you know what? The name of my father 
is at stake over here. You know what he says? Dear brothers, okay, you take first choice and go. And in fact, exactly what happens in Galatians, Genesis chapter 14, the king of, king of Sodom, Bera, will come and say, take the souls, I mean, uh, take the money, give me your souls. He says, you and your money, you just give me some money to these allies of mine who came and fought alongside me, okay? I don't want any money. Lest you say that you have made Abraham rich, I have lifted my hand to the God of heaven. He is my father. See, this is how we dishonor God. Before Gentiles, 1 John chapter 3, sorry, 3 John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 3 John chapter 1, there's only one chapter, 3 John chapter 1, and go on, actually verse 2 onwards. Okay, beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers, and then go on. For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. Uh, I have no greater joy than to hear my children walk in the truth and go on. Okay. Beloved, do you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who are born witness of your love before the church? If you send them to, uh, forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well. Why? Verse 7. Because they went forth for His name's sake, taking Nothing from the Gentiles. Nothing from the Gentiles. Why? So important. Let your light so shine so that they may look at your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And therefore he's asking the church, if I'm your Father, where's my honor? And that's exactly what he says in First Corinthians chapter 6. He says, brother is taking brother to church. Are you not ashamed? Would you not rather be defrauded? Man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. You know why you are not able to shine in this world? Because you love the world. You love it. And therefore, people when they look at you and they look at your lifestyle and they look at your value systems, they are not able to find any difference between you and the others. In fact, when you fight, you so I have to put my head down so many times. My children. I've seen it so many times, no? Churches where it's a, it's a sad state of efforts, affairs. There's a bunch of elders who are holding position in the church. I don't want to mention the name of the church. And there's a fight between the captions. Two, two, what is it called? Uh, factions. Yeah? It's factions doesn't happen only in Rayal Sima. It happens in uh, churches also. You know, the only famous place for factions in India, uh, in, in, in Andhra was, those days was Rayal Sima. Faction wars. Now it happens in the church. There's one faction over here who's holding the office. They're all sitting in their places and another faction which has come in wants to take care. So what do they do? They rush into the church office and grab all those office holders and they throw them out and they, the other people come and occupy the place and everything has been shot on, you, uh, on camera and put on YouTube for the whole world to see. Rather die. That's what, you know, Isaac said. You want it? Take it. 
I will go. Be like Abraham the Hebrew Baba. How? How do you be like Abraham the Hebrew? First way you you show I mean you honor your father is by having a testimony before the Gentiles. Having a testimony before the Gentiles. First Peter chapter two verse eleven onwards. We know this very well. You are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. That's what it says, right? If you are a holy nation, if you are a royal, royal priesthood, what, how should you behave? Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against your soul. And he says, having your conduct, what? Dishonorable? Oh, honorable. Among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, because they will never have a good good opinion about you, because you are, uh, you are Christ, that they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. The day of visitation will come. Or in their day of visitation also. Or if we had such very bad opinion about Christians, but look at these people. They are such lovely people. I mean, loving people. And then next, next verse. Therefore, you see how the connection is here? Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, or to the governors, or to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. And then, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not yet using liberty as a cloak for covetousness or vice, but as bond servants of God. And finally, verse 17, look at how it ends. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. If you don't do this, you will bring my name to disrepute. And I'm not saying that we should honor the supreme, I mean, obviously there is a, there's a distinction over here where when they are asking us to compromise, we don't ask, we don't compromise. That is also we, that is how we also have a testimony before them. We love you, but we will never compromise the standards of God. And at the same time, we will not do anything that will bring the name of our God to disrepute. First, so therefore, having our conduct honorable before men, what do we have? We glorify our Father in heaven. So if I am your Father, where is my honor? How do you honor God? Having a conduct honorable before men. Second, turn to Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 onwards. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. (laughs) Okay, so it is not if you fast, it is when you fast. Okay, there is no option. We all fast. Okay, but be careful of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. In other words, there is only one opinion who's, who, which, which, which matters. What is that opinion? God's opinion. Okay, that is what it means. So, when you pray, when you fast, when you give, you are doing a practice of righteousness. He who practices righteousness is righteous, is what 1 John chapter 3 will say. And what is he, was he, what is he talking about? He is talking about your giving. Do it in secret. Let nobody know. When you pray, shut the doors. 
So, what are you do? What are you interested here? You are interested only in your reward which comes from heaven and not re- interested in anybody's opinion or reward. Okay. So, if you practice your righteousness before men, you already got their righteousness. So, how do you honor father? By ensuring that you don't practice your righteousness before men. So, let us see that. Let me prove that to you. Turn with me. It's the same thing. Chapter uh, 6 of... Uh, uh, of Matthew and uh, verse 3 and 4. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. That is how you honor your father. Boy, Similarly, verse 5. <laughs> love this. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that you may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door and pray to your Father who sees you in your secret and your father who sees you in your secret will report you openly. That's exactly what pastor was talking about. Let there be a bunch of intercessors who will rise up in these last days. That's what they ask Persians. They ask Persians, what is a, what is the secret of your, of your ministry? What is the power behind your ministry? Secret of your power behind your ministry. And you know what he said? He opened the trap door and he showed them a bunch of guys downstairs praying for him even while he was preaching. Nobody knows them. They only know me, he said. But one day, that day, I don't know, they might get as good as a reward as Persian maybe. If not better. We call, what, what do we call, you know what, what they call Spurgeon? What is the nickname given to Spurgeon? Prince of <laughs> Preachers. The Prince of Preachers. Isn't it amazing? So, the first thing. When you do your good works, they will glorify your father. And we know what the good works is. When you hate covetousness, when your conduct is honorable before Gentiles, when you don't fight for money and property, that is your good work. You're conscious about your contribution to the society. You're not, you're not cheating the government. I'm talking about all those business people who cheat the government of the taxes, who have never paid their taxes. Okay, so the first thing, okay, first thing that people will see your good works and what are the good works we looked, we looked at that. Second, we looked at loving your enemies. Third, when you fast and when you pray and when you give. Those are righteous deeds and you do it in secret. Fourth, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father also will forgive your trespasses. Isn't it interesting? So how do we honor our father? By extending forgiveness to everybody. From our heart. That's what he says. He tells, he tells, uh, he tells, uh, uh, Peter, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times seven. Turn with you to Matthew chapter 18, please. It's a powerful verse he uses. And it's a, it's a, it's a very, Interesting uh, hmm, command. 
verse 32 onwards. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgive you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And then, And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my father in heaven will not forgive any one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your... Ah, you should not hold any grudge. Sometimes, no, when people open their mouth, you should see how historical they become. That day you did this to me. And you'll be shocked. You'll be shocked. It's unbelievable. I know from the past you were like this. I know what you did then. I know what you did so many years back. This is what you were. This is what you were. And you will be stunned when they open their mouths that they had all this in their heart and they were acting fantastic right before you. It's unbelievable. Boy. You know, it's very interesting, right? On the day of atonement, you know what they're supposed to do? It's a command given to them. They are supposed to mourn. And they have to declare a solemn assembly and nobody should do any work. It's a Sabbath. It's a day of rest. On the day of rest, the command given to them is to mourn. And I'm like, how can you obey the command to mourn? Today's day of atonement, mourn. (laughs) It's impossible to do that, right? Unless you've experienced how much the Lord has forgiven you. How much He took your sin away. How much He forgave you. See, that was the letter. Even in the letter, they were asked to mourn. If He forgave you so much, how much more you have to? That's exactly what has happened. Now this guy will say, Father, first words, right? In Luke's Gospel chapter 24, you don't have to, 23, it says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And one guy looks at it and he says, this guy, he's suffering for, for, because he's a just man and I am an unjust man. And he says, remember me. Remember me. That's what Pastor was saying, right? Kings what? They give. What do kings do? They extend forgiveness. They show mercy. I like that scene in uh, Schindler's List. Have you, have you seen that scene? Uh, Schindler's asking Goeth, Ammon, why do you think the Jews are afraid of us? And he says, that fellow is a very, very cruel, uh, uh, um, whatever, commander, okay? SS commander. He said, the Jews are afraid of us because we have the power to kill them. Ammon, do you call this power Ammon? Amnon or something his name. Amnon Goeth, if I'm right. I'll tell you, you know, I'll tell you what power is Amnon. There was a man who was a, who was a Chakravarti, who was a prince, who was an emperor. And in that emperor, there was one guy whom he came to know was, had committed treason. Okay. And that fellow who committed treason came to realize that the emperor knows his plot. So what does he do? He goes to the emperor and prostrates before him and he says, emperor have mercy upon me. Emperor have mercy upon me. Please forgive me. You know what the emperor does? He extends mercy and he says, go. And you know what? He says, Shilas tells Amnon, Amnon, he had every justification to murder him. Every justification to cut off his head. He had the power to do it, but he restrained himself. That is power. 
That is power. You know, I was shocked when I heard that. No, that was one of the most poignant scenes in, in Schindler's List. He had every justification to finish him off. But he extends mercy. And he says, that is power. You know, we don't love because we have not experienced his love. And that is the reason why we say, how do you love me? Fifth way, you honor your father. Let, let's turn to Matthew chapter 6 verses 25 to 33. We looked at it very so many times. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will you put on, is not life more than food and body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air, they are neither sown or reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? Next verse. Verse 20. Uh, um, 30, 31. 30, 31. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive and to, uh, alive uh, today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more, you know the first much more of God. Okay. When sin abound, grace did much more abound. And the first time the word much more comes is to do with clothing. Okay. It's very interesting. That's exactly what uh, Adam and Eve did. They sinned and they found that they were naked and they clothed themselves. With what? Fig leaves. And what did God come and say? Much more clothing is required. (laughs) It's still not covered completely. That's exactly what fathers also will have to say once their daughters grow up. Dad, how is this dress? Much more is required. <laughs> no, no, I'm telling you honestly. No, this is exactly how we are in this last generation. I told you, no, eight years in Triple IT I worked. The skirts have become shorter and the t-shirts have become tighter. And the professor, if, he's a, if he was a father, has to say, much more is required over here. When they come and fight for marks, I need much more marks and I would have to say, Maba, it is not much more marks, you need much more clothing. Anyway, that's, that's just besides the point. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, w- will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? And what shall we wear? And you know what? For the Gentiles seek after these things, but your heavenly father knows already. In other words, if you trust your God for your needs, whatever your need is. See, God is not constrained by your need. If you think that he, you need one million dollars, he is ready to give one million dollars. If you don't need it, he will not give. One of the things that we are practicing to tell our children, never tell our children we can't afford it. Sometimes it automatically comes off, you know. We can't, no, 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 no. Don't, don't ever say, I can't afford it. We say, we don't need it. If we need it, God will provide for it. So when we, Trust God for all our needs. What do we do? We honor Him. You know, 
stories told about, uh, I think I, I mentioned this example sometime back. Stories told about uh, Alexander the Great. Okay. So one, uh, one of his uh, generals comes to his court and he says, my lord, Shall I continue? Yeah. <clears throat> we have so many interruptions today, but it's okay. So he says, he says, uh, one of his generals, Alexander's, uh, Alexander, Alexander's generals, general, generals comes to his court and he says, my lord, my daughter is getting married. I need some money. And Alexander says, how much do you need? He says, 20,000 talents of gold. So, Alexander with a smile on his face, uh, he calls his treasurer. And those days I don't think they are going to write checks, but you know, whatever he has to do, he says, 20,000 talents of gold to be given to this man. See, all the other people in this court are shocked at what Alexander does. And after this general goes off with his money, happily, he, they all look at Alexander and he says, my lord, what did you do? Alexander says, you know what? This fellow thinks that I'm so rich that he can ask me 20,000 talents of gold and still it will be less as far as he's concerned. Therefore, you know what? He has honored me by asking me so much. Can you imagine how our children, we as God's children, we do, we go to God, Daddy, Dharmam Jain Daddy, Itlunta Depu, <laughs> it's amazing, no? We think about it. We just can't even imagine that. If Abigail will come and say, Daddy, today, Daddy, I need a pancake, that nonsense. What are you talking about? You see, if I being evil can give good gifts to my children, how much more? I have loved you. You say, how I have loved you. I have, I am your father, you say. Where is your, I mean, I, I, if I am your father, where is my honor? So, first, making our conduct before, honorable before Gentiles. Second, what? By forgiving, so by praying for our enemies or, or extending mercy to our enemies. Third, we looked at, yeah, our righteous acts before, uh, not before men, but before God. Third, to forgive men their trespasses. Fourth, trusting God for our needs. Sixth, asking God for the Holy Spirit. Treasuring the Holy Spirit more than anything else. That is the ultimate gift. Because the only way we can honor God is by living His life and the way we live His life is by asking for the Holy Spirit. Luke's Gospel chapter 11, verse 10 to 13. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who asks, seeks, finds, and the one to whom, who knocks, it will be opened. Look at this, verse 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? And then, 
Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how again? Much more. The heavenly father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. In other words, of all the blessings that you can desire on this earth, the greatest blessing is to receive the Holy Spirit. And you have to ask more of it. Seven eleven of Matthew. Matthew seven eleven. It says, <clears throat> "If yeah, if you then who are evil knows how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your heavenly Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Ask, ask your father. You know that's an act of faith. Ask for revelation." And don't ever be satisfied with your spiritual life. Ask, ask, ask. How do you ask? One of the ways you ask, I always keep telling, by coming to the meetings. For the Holy Spirit. Why? How does the Holy Spirit be? He who supplies the Holy Spirit and works miracles among you, how does he do it? Not by the works of the law, but by hearing from faith. Ask. Take opportunities to listen. Now I gave you, I'm going to give you seven ways that you honor your father. Do those seven things. Ask God for the grace to do those seven things. Let my works be honorable before men. How will my works be honorable before men? When my value system is completely different from their value system. When they are seeking after money, I'm not seeking after money. When the whole world is fighting for money, I'm not fighting for money. I don't want property. I'm not going to fight for property. That is because ultimately my property is there, Baba. Earthly property, if I have or don't have, that's what Paul. What, that's what uh, uh, Solomon says. I will do all this work and acclaim, uh, put all this property, and I'll get all this property. Who's going to get it? I don't even know who's going to inherit it. That whether whether that fellow will be a wise fellow or a fool. You know what's the, what they say about in Japan? The Japan, Japanese say the first this generation, the the previous generation. They said we worked so hard and we got so much of, we created so much of wealth in our nation and we do not know whether our next generation does even value what their their fathers have gone through to create so much of wealth. You know why? Because if in this life only you have hope in Christ Jesus, of all the people you are most miserable. Okay? Our treasure is there. So, first way, by seeking to have a life which will be honorable among Gentiles. Second, loving those who hate you. Third, having your righteous acts, not before men, but before God. When you have your righteous acts before God, what are you saying? Who is my righteousness? God is my righteousness. That is secret life. Secret righteous life. And three things, my God, I love that. It's fasting, it's praying and giving. Wow. Nobody should know. Nobody should know. What a, see, what a, what a, what a, you say, what is, is temptation, right? That, um, somebody should know what I've given. The church is all full of like that, no? We went to that place in, uh, in, uh, Guntakal. The church is full of fans with names. 
I mean, I remember one man of God who went to church in uh, in one place in Andhra Pradesh during summer. Okay, so he was sweating. He was preaching and he was sweating. So he is going there and he's switching on the fan. It's spinning, and another guy comes and switches it off. Like he's like, why is he switching on the fan? I'm sweating, and then he continues preaching. And again, after a while, he goes and switches on the fan, and then he preaches after the and the fellow comes and switches on the fan again. After the service is over, he's so frustrated and he goes and says, "Brother, I was sweating. Why did you not allow me to switch on the fan?" He said, "I got my name is written on the fan. If you." If you switch it off, people will not be able to see. <laughs> Unbelievable. And he was shocked. And he said, I've come to a church. I'm a very famous man of God. Those kinds of believers are there. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable believers. <laughs> okay. So, righteous acts. In secret, sixth is, forgive men their trespasses, be a generous forgiver. Extend mercy. Sixth, fifth is, ask for God for your needs, trust Him for your needs, you make Him look good. <laughs> really? The way that man came and made Alexander the Great to look good, how much more you? Okay. Seventh, practice not righteous lawlessness, but righteousness. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And then I will declare to him, and okay, say, on that day many will come and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never know you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness or iniquity. You did not do the will of my father. And the question is, how do we know the will of the father? I'll tell you something. Everybody has a specific will, I mean, for God's will, and we know the the, the general will and the and the specific, uh, special will. But there's one thing that we need to do in order to know the will. You know what that is? Turn with me to 1 John now. 1 John, chapter 2. Verse 15 onwards. 15 to 17, that's enough. Do not love the world. Okay? And the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him, Baba. Father's love is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And then he says, the world and its lusts are passing away, but he who does the will of the Father abides forever. So how do we know the will of the Father? First, separate yourself from the world. That's exactly, now we come back to Second Corinthians chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. We come back all the way to that particular verse which from where we started. What is that verse? Come out from among them. 
Be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Almighty. Says, set apart from your, from this world. You want to know the will of God. How will God even speak the will of God if you love the world more than you love Him? When you love movies, when you love television, you love all the other things of the world. When God has given you this time so that you can set yourself apart for the things of God and not the things of this world, how will, how will you know? The will of God. Unless until you have set yourself apart for God. And seek God. Fast. Pray. Seek His face. Fast one meal a day at least. If you can. So seven things we learned today. A son honors his father. A servant is master. If I am your father, where is my honor? And yet you say, you don't honor me. And you say, how we have, I mean, how did you love us? You know why? You never experienced the love of God because you never, ever, ever considered him as your father. So what is the solution to all of this? You know what the solution to all of this is? God circumcise my heart. Then I will love you. Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 6. The Lord your God will what? You know what circumcise means? Cut away from the things of this world. You see, I was in one of the Bible studies now. One brother came up to him and says, Pastor, circumcision, why that organ? Why? There could be several reasons. What one reason is this. That is the organ that men use to derive pleasure. And when you're cutting away, you're saying, you know what? Only God gives me pleasure. And not the world. That is what circumcision is. God gives me pleasure. And not the world. Why? Because in these last days. Perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves. Finally tense. They will be what? Lovers of pleasure. Than lovers of God. The word is lover. Lover. Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? You adulterers and adulteresses. We ask God these days, Lord, you promised that you will circumcise my heart. It is going to be painful. That's exactly what happened to those entire children of Israel. They were not circumcised in the 24. That's exactly what he says, right? In Hosea, he says, uh, in the wilderness, did you offer me any sacrifice? No. You didn't even circumcise your children. None of your children you circumcised. And then after the after those guys come pass through Jordan, you know what God says? Circumcise them. You know what he calls that place? Gilgal. You know what that Gilgal means? Bunch of foreskins. That's what it means. 
means the entire reproach of this world has been removed. What does it mean? You are not going to look into the world for any of your righteousness. The world is not going to attract you because you are not going to look for the world for, for to justify you. You only look at God and say, Lord, my justification, my righteousness, my love, everything comes from you and you alone. Then you will begin to, what? Experience his love. And when God says, I love you, you know that he loves you. I'll show you, I'll leave you with this one verse. Turn with me to John's Gospel chapter 17. How much does the Lord love us? Turn with me to John's Gospel chapter 17, verse 20 to 23. Look at this. How much God loves me. I do not pray for those alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they all may be one, as you, Father, and are in me, and I in you, that they also may know, uh, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me, I gave, I have given them that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may be one, that they may be made perfect in, in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. This is how much the Father loves you. You know how much He loves you? He loves you as much as He has loved who? Jesus. That's much. He, that, that's how much He loves you. You know how he, what He calls it? This is my beloved Son. And when He looks at you in His Son, He says, this is my beloved Son. He has accepted us in the Beloved. That's, much, that's how much He loves us. Just a thought for you before you leave. Verse 25 and 26 of the same chapter. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me, and verse 26, and I have declared to them, what? Your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I. I would encourage all of us, no? These coming days. For God to do a deep work in us. Circumcision is a deep work. Okay. It's going to be painful. You will feel it here. Cutting it will happen. That's exactly what happened to them, no? After they, they got circumcised in Gilgal, how many days? Three days for them to rest. To heal. May the Lord do His work. And by the time this entire process is over, we are healed and we are here to declare His work. Shall we pray? Father, this morning, once again, we commit ourselves to Your kind hands. Lord, we need You. Circumcise our hearts. Circumcise our hearts, Lord, beginning with me. Areas where I don't love you. I love the world more than I love you. Circumcise. Do a deep work. Do a deep work, Lord, in all of us. That in the days to come, we will love you even more. Because we have experienced your love in our hearts. Shed abroad your love, Lord. 
in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. We praise you, we worship you. We give you glory. For in Jesus' name, Amen.